You're tuned into Two Shades of Blue, a Carolina Blitz podcast featuring Royal and Terrence, two brothers from another mother who rep rival teams eight miles down Tobacco Road. Each week, Royal and Terrence will give their real and unbiased take on all Carolina sports and entertainment. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the Two Shades of Blue podcast. My name is Royal Howell. My co-host, Terrence Hatchett, and we are a part of Carolina Blitz, Vashti Hurt. Welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We took a little three-week vacation, but we are back, ready to jump right into it. We're going to jump right into it, ladies and gentlemen. Football had just started this past weekend with college football. We had hot takes all around the NFL with preseason football. You know, NFL starts in two weeks exactly from today. Two weeks, we'll be having Sunday football so get your fancy teams out, get those lineups ready to load it. But we're going to jump right into it, ladies and gentlemen. We had the Carolina Panthers this past Friday night at Bank of America Stadium finish their preseason against my Pittsburgh Steelers in Charlotte. This was Sam Darnold's breaking out game, in some people's opinion, where we saw a nice first-half um, play from the quarterback from New York. Um, his first time actually being um, behind center. Um in front of a big time audience on NBC and Fox networks um, here in the Charlotte and Raleigh Durham areas. Uh, we saw him perform 19 of 25 for 162 yards, two touchdowns. The Panthers look really good, man. Everybody wanted to see what we see from Sam Darnold in live action. Yes, it was against second, third and fourth strings. A lot of these guys on Pittsburgh that played are trying to make the 53 man roster some players we saw playing are just trying to audition for other teams because they will be cut by this Tuesday morning. Um, you know, the rosters have to be cut um, to a 53-man roster coming up soon um, before two weeks, um, week one. So, you know, we saw a lot from Sam Darn. We saw Terrace Marshall, um, the potential number three option in Carolina, have a touchdown up the middle on Friday night. Uh, the Panthers look good, man. We had a lot of people losing their minds. Cough, cough, bash, uh, we had, you know, we saw some good things from the Panthers, you know, just overall Sam Darn looked in control. There were times that he was tap dancing in the pocket. Um, there was some pressure up front from the Pittsburgh Steelers D-line. Um, uh, of course, that was, you know, without T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, um, Mika Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, some other players. Um, but, you know, they were formidable. When it mattered most, Sam Darn got the ball out. Uh, he had precision on his passes. Um, he looked poised in the pocket. Um, there were times, you know, like I said, pressure was brought up front from the Steelers D-line, um, but he was able to escape, keep his eyes downfield, uh, keep his eyes on the target, and was throwing receivers open, which is what we wanted to see from Sam Darnold. Um, more than likely, you know, he looked like he was in control, and I think that giving the Panthers time to get that O-line, uh, you know, solidified, if you give him time in the pocket, he's going to find the open receivers. The Panthers have weapons on the outside with – Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, who I think is a barely underrated receiver who just got paid and rightfully so. Oh, I'm sorry. Was it Robbie Anderson just got paid the contract? But DJ. Robbie DJ Anderson had, um, just got an extension and DJ Moore is up for an extension soon. So, yeah. So we saw some good things for the Panthers. Terrence, give me your takes on the Panthers final preseason game in Charlotte against the Steelers. What are some areas of concern for you? What do you look forward towards week one? where Sam Darnold opens up against his former team, the Jets, at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Give me your take, T. Um, I'm going to give you three areas of concern just based on what I've seen throughout the whole preseason. One, 
the offensive line, especially the left side of the offensive line, we um, like you said, Watt, Hayward, a lot of guys with Steelers weren't there. And at times they're still able to get a lot of pressure on uh, Sam Darnold and he was having happy feet in the pocket. Uh, when Darnold was able to have time in the pocket, he looked pretty good. I mean, you know, like you said, a lot of guys were out. It's the preseason, you know, vanilla defense. But, you know, as a Panther fan, um, you know, the second preseason game, we only saw Sam Darnold only throw two passes versus Baltimore. And a lot of fans were wondering what was Matt Rule doing. You know, Sam Darnold's in a new system, new coach, new scheme. And a lot of people felt like he needed the reps. So when and I was actually at that Ravens game, so a lot of people in the stands were really like just confused why he only threw two passes and they took him out after one series. Um, but I think the offensive line is still going to be working progress. Um, I know the Jets had an injury in one of their key D linemen week one, but um, they still have some pretty good players on that D line. Um, and they're going to try to get pressure on Sam Darnold and, you know, send a message, you know, that, you know, you're on a new team, but we're, we're coming for you, you know. So, and I feel like teams are really going to try to pressure us. The offensive line It's still an area of concern. It's been an area of concern for years with the Panthers, you know, going back to Cam Newton um, last year with Teddy Bridgewater. We saw at times the line was able to protect him very well, and he wasn't able to make accurate throws when he was under pressure. And I think that's going to be a huge area of concern moving forward throughout the year because it doesn't matter really who you have at quarterback. You know, we saw in the Super Bowl, if your offensive line is in shambles and can't protect, it doesn't matter if you have Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, whoever, if your offensive line can't block, you're not going to win. So that's still a huge area of concern. My second area of concern is the kicker position. Um, You know, Joey Sly got cut um, after he missed a field goal yesterday. Uh, The Panthers traded for a kicker, but, you know, we haven't really seen much of his new kicker yet. And that's just an area of concern because, you know, kickers don't get, you know, a lot of hype, but they can lose you games. Mm -hmm. It's just a fact. Football, you know, you know, kickers are the longest position in the football field. So you got to have some type of comfortability with your kicker position. And then another area of concern that I've seen is red zone offense. You know, I know it's backups and I know we only saw – you know, our starters really play half this preseason. But even then, they still have some things to be desired in the red zone. They were able to get some touchdowns, you know, this week. But throughout the preseason, we saw the red zone offenses really be questionable, um, even with the first unit at times. And it was a problem last year. And, you know, Joe Brady was getting head coaching interviews last year. And in my opinion, I don't think he really earned it just because, you know, he had a great year at LSU. But let's just be real. LSU had Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall, Justin Jefferson, Joe Burrow, Claude Edwards-Hilaire, and Thaddeus Moss. All of those guys are in the NFL, and most of those guys are first-round picks. That was one of the best offensive college football teams that we've ever seen as far as talent. And moving up to the NFL is a different ball game. And last year, our red zone offense wasn't very good. And at times in the preseason, we've seen kind of a similar thing. Um, that's definitely an area of concern. And also, I think depth on the you know on defense. You know, our defense should be good, but we don't have a lot of depth at certain positions. So, especially in the defensive back end back of our defense. So, yeah, defensive back. Yeah, so we, so yeah, if we have um, injuries on the back end of our secondary, you know, that could definitely be an area of concern. Um, things to be excited about. You know, Terrace Marshall is a big time player. He might be one of the steals of the draft. We got him in the third round, but he he really looks like. Uh, first round pick. I mean, he's really impressed. Um, Shy Smith impressed as well. I, ho- I hope that he recovers from his injury. Um, had you know, he got injured last night, 
but he really showed me some things. And then, you know, this offense, I know we were talking about the red zone stuff, but, you know, Christian McCaffrey hasn't played this preseason. So, you know, having Christian McCaffrey will definitely help in some ways with the red zone offense, just having another weapon out there. Um, Is especially that a guy that can pass the ball. McCaffrey? Uh, running back? I think we – I think Chubba Hubbard is a good running back. Um, I know he's a rookie, but, you know, we lost Mike Davis last year to Atlanta. But I think Chubba Hubbard can be a good backup. And, you know, hopefully we do more of sharing the load and not just heavy, you know, Christian McCaffrey-centric offense because, you know, in the past it's been heavy CMC. We haven't used our other running backs on the depth chart a lot. And, you know, last year he was injured and really wasn't able to get back on the field once he got injured, you know, running backs, they have a short shelf life, especially a guy that's being used as much as Christian McCaffrey. Those running backs typically don't last long in the NFL. And, you know, McCaffrey's not the biggest running back. You know, he's strong, he works out, but he's still not – has that dominant, you know, big physical stature. So you wonder how much punishment he can take over time because it's not necessarily about this year, but, you know, those hits add up over time. At some point, it will catch up to you, man. So hopefully we use Chub- uh, Chubba Hubbard. Um, we have a lot of weapons, you know, at receiver. I still – I think tight end's an area that we can still improve in. Um, we'll see. Uh, Dan Arnold, um, Tommy Trimble, and Ian Thomas, we'll see what they can do this year. Um, but, you know, there's some things to be excited about. There's also some areas of concern. Um, one thing I look with the Panthers is I feel like we have to start the season off fast. Our schedule on the front end – there are some toss-up games, but I feel like we can do well on the front end. The back end of our schedule is brutal. I think our last five games of the year, we played Tampa, Buffalo, at New Orleans, at Tampa. And I think there's an Atlanta game somewhere in between, I believe. Um, but the back end of our schedule is tough, man. Our last nine games, you know, we have New England in there. I think we have Arizona in there, uh, Miami, like we'll, we'll break down the schedule and make our uh, predictions, you know, next week you know, before the NFL season starts. But our, the back end of the schedule is brutal. So we have to come out, out of the gate strong. So, you know, like I said, a lot of areas, you know, to be excited about, a lot of players to be excited about, but also a lot of areas of concern, especially that offensive line. You know, it doesn't matter what skill players you have. Like we saw in the Super Bowl with Kansas City, you can have Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and, you know, all these weapons, Kelsey, Kyle's Hilaire. But that offensive line can't block, it's not going to work. Exactly. You heard it here first. You heard it here first from Terrence Hatchett, Mr. Carolina Panthers. He gave us a take on the Panthers' last preseason game. Sam Darnold looked impressive. Terrence Marshall looked like the still of the draft. Viable number three option behind DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. We had CMC, who's coming back off an injury. Um, like, like you said, it sounds like majority uh, folks from the Panther fan base uh, sounds like if you get protection on that O-line, the Panthers are going to be able to do some big things. Um, like I said, Sam Darnold looked um, composed when he had time in the pocket to throw the football. He was finding his weapons, eyes downfield majority of the time, precision on his passes. He looked like, you know, a viable option at the quarterback position. Um, what we else know this past week, uh, we saw things happen in New England with the Panthers' former um, MVP, uh, Cam Newton, um, who's been in a quarterback battle, per se, in New England uh, with a rookie out of Alabama, Mac Jones, who – a lot of fans in the New England fan base want Mac Jones to be behind center week one. Uh, what we know is we saw some critical comments from former players, former media members, um, present media members within the media now saying that um, 
Cam Newton doesn't look focused. You know, the same narrative that a black quarterback is facing in the NFL um, just because he's having fun. Um, he's not being he's not you know, he's not in trouble with law. He's not beating on women. He's just having a good time in New England. Yeah, you can debate his stats at time, his health, the durability. But the fact of the matter is when he's been healthy, he's been a very productive quarterback within the NFL. Um, we saw some very sorry and uneasy comments made this week that um, a I won't even mention the person's name because it's not even worth mentioning. Um, the person said that Cam Newton should stop listening to rap music and focus more on football, He'd be more productive. Um, but the fact of the matter is he didn't make these same comments with white Caucasian quarterbacks within the NFL that listen to the same rap music, the same songs, and are just another player in the NFL listening to rap music, having a good time, but these same comments were made towards other white individuals. Terrence, give me your thoughts on the comments that were made this week towards Cam Newton. Why is there such so much criticism towards Cam Newton um, in regards to him just being a NFL quarterback? Like, why does he face so much backlash? Is it just his persona? Is it just his cockiness about him? Is it just his personality? Why does Cam Newton face so much criticism? Was it because how cocky he was during the 2015 season? Um, and rightfully so, when the Panthers win the Super Bowl. But, I mean, like, why does he, out of any other quarterback in the NFL, face so much criticism towards media members and other quarterbacks, former players, what is it about Cam Newton that they can't get him out of their job? Like, what is it about, man? I'll be real with you, man. Um, you know, first of all, I'm going to say this, man. Like, if Bill Belichick had a problem with the music, do you really think Bill Belichick would play music that was a problem or is, quote-unquote, problematic? Because let's be real, man. Like, people always, you know, rap music gets a bad rap. But let's just be real. Rap music says just as much wild stuff as rap music. And have you ever listened to country music? If you actually listen to what some of these country music artists are saying, they say some wild stuff. Some wild stuff. Pop music, they say wild stuff. But, you know, it's easy in America to sit there and point at a genre of music that's, you know, majority black and say that is a distraction to a black quarterback. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of bias with that. As far as Cam Newton, people hated Cam Newton since he was at Auburn. The way he went to Auburn, you know, he was at Florida. He was Tim Tebow's backup. He got kicked off the team for stealing laptops, which he admit was a mistake. And, you know, he got crucified. He went to Blinn College, won the junior Juco championship, went to Auburn. Now, you know, there's a controversy with his dad, Cecil Newton, about, you know, payments and whatever, but – Cam Newton was found not to do anything wrong in that situation, and he was ultimately cleared. Now, as far as, like, payments and stuff, we've all known that this type of stuff goes on in college football all the time. Hell, it goes on in high school football because I just watched a documentary on Netflix called Titletown where they were at Valdosta High School in Georgia, and the head coach was caught on camera saying that he needed funny money to get certain guys to come to the school, including a quarterback who transferred from – California to Georgia because of COVID protocols and whatever. He moved all the way across country and to Georgia to play quarterback, was ineligible, and then went to another school. So this, this type of stuff happens on the high school level. It is common. That's why they finally granted, you know, the NIL uh, name, image, likeness thing. Because, you know, that type of stuff happens all the time. A lot of people didn't like it. Then Cam 
you know, that game was Auburn in 2010 where, you know, he came back and a lot of people have vitriol towards that game uh, because there's a certain segment of the population that can identify with Alabama fans and the way they think. And you know what? And you know what I'm getting at. And I got to say it. You can read it between the lines. And then Cam came into the NFL and set the rookie record for passing yards, but he did it his way. He did it his way. Cam is unapologetically black and doesn't care. Doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think. He's going to do him. He doesn't care the way he dresses or the way he's perceived. Cam Newton is going to do him. He is unapologetically black, and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And then 2015, when he had his MVP year, and he had the whole country dabbing, and, you know, Cam, you know, remember the incident in Tennessee with the mom writing a letter talking about the way he danced, when really and truthfully, if you're more concerned about the way he danced, then you should be concerned about the cheerleaders and the way they're dressed. Bam. If you were that concerned. Bam. If you, if you are that concerned about Cam Newton and the way he danced and the quote-unquote way he was gyrating, then what about the cheerleaders? If you're concerned about what your daughter is seeing on the football field in a football game, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, Terrence Hatchett with a hot take, but then but the truth, it speaks for itself. It sounds like then, to me, Cam Newton's black skin has an effect on white narratives. That's, that's what it sounds exactly. like. Because we've seen the same BS narratives with Lamar Jackson. Um, God, what's his name? I'm sorry I'm blanking on his name, but he used to work for ESPN on the draft. He's older. Talking about um, Lamar Jackson, he to play wide receiver. Oh, I can't think of his name. I'm sorry, y'all. I can't think of his name, but y'all know who I'm talking about. Y'all know who I'm talking about. I'm just blanking on his name at the moment. But the point is, they try to make Lamar Jackson play wide receiver, and Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the NFL in his second year. The MVP. That's another thing. That's another thing. Why does the media a lot of times, and we hear this all the time with black quarterbacks, as soon as a black quarterback is doing, being very productive in the college football game, producing, putting up stats, putting up numbers, you know, winning record in college football. The first thing you hear when he gets to NFL, majority of the time, I'll say 70% of the time they want is this player to change positions. You always hear that. But how seldom do we hear that when it comes to a white quarterback coming up the realms in college football? You rarely hear about them changing positions. But as soon as there's a black quarterback, the first thing you want to hear is, is he open-minded? Is he, is, he, is he ready to change positions? Is he open to changing positions? Is he open to taking care of any need of a National Football League association? Like, what's the deal with that, man? Like, it's I'm going to say something else real quick, if you don't mind, man. Like, let's be real, bro. There are certain types of quarterbacks that get more chances, more second chances, third chances, fourth chances than a black quarterback who really only gets maybe one or two chances. I'm going to throw a guy there. Let's, let's talk about Jameis Winston real quick, man. There's no way in hell that Jameis Winston had to compete with a guy named Taysom Hill who was a gadget player masquerading as a quarterback. And Taysom Hill can be effective in certain situations, but throughout the whole game, he's not a quarterback. But the fact that Jameis had to compete so hard to even win that job is crazy. But Sam Darnold, I'm not trying to throw any shade at Sam Darnold, but Sam Darnold hasn't accomplished nearly anything in the NFL that Jameis did. Let's just be real. Jameis Winston's rookie year was better than any year Sam Darnold had. His rookie year, Jameis Winston threw for over 4,000 yards, 22 touchdowns, and he was the offensive rookie of the year, and he made the Pro Bowl his rookie year. Yes, Jameis Winston threw for 30 interceptions, but guess what? 
Jameis was one of only eight players in the history of the NFL to throw for 5,000 yards. Period. <laughs> Yet, Sam Darnold gets traded and gets a, a player option on $18 million, you know, this year and next year. But Jameis Winston has to take a minimum contract and compete versus Taysom Hill for the quarterback position. And the same thing with Justin Fields. When Justin Fields is coming into the draft, they try to say he couldn't make his reads. He couldn't go through his progressions, blah, 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 blah. A whole bunch of BS narratives. Yet, Justin Fields balled out after his first preseason game. Now they try to change his, the tune on him. There's certain, like, biases and agendas. And, you know, Mac Jones has looked good. But Mac Jones has been playing mostly against twos and threes this preseason. And then the way that the media sat there and Kate for Mac Jones after Cam Newton had his incident with the COVID misunderstanding, which Bill Belichick said that Cam Newton didn't, didn't do anything wrong. It was a misunderstanding. Cam Newton didn't violate anything. It was just a simple misunderstanding. But, you know, the, the rules say that you have to sit out a certain amount of days. And then when Mac Jones had a good practice, and I admit, you know, Mac Jones' his numbers in the practice were good, but it was a practice. But the way that the media was caping and talking about, oh, Mac Jones might have solidified the job and Cam Newton, uh, you know, availability – is important, blah, 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 like any narrative to sit there and try to push Mac Jones into the job. Mac Jones is eventually going to be the quarterback of the New England Patriots, but it's just, it's just not going to be week one. And, you know, if Cam Newton doesn't play well, and, and Cam Newton knows this, Cam Newton knows that if he doesn't play well, Mac Jones is going to get thrown in there, and Cam Newton's going to have to find a job somewhere else. Cam Newton's fighting for another job. He's not fighting for this year. He's fighting to get an opportunity to start in the NFL for another team. You know, maybe Washington, because Washington could use an upgrade quarterback. I mean, you know, they got Fitzpatrick. We know how Fitzpatrick can be. He's very hot and cold, and he's not a long-term answer. And Cam Newton has a good report from Revere. I would not be surprised if Cam Newton especially plays well this year. And then New England decides to move on to Mac Jones. He could be reunited with Ron Revere and Washington, because they do need an upgrade on the offensive side of the ball, because Washington on the defensive side of the ball has a great defense. They gave – um not New England, I'm sorry, Tampa Bay – Problems in the playoffs with their defense. If you added a Cam Newton and some more weapons with that defense, that's a contender. Period. Yeah, they got top you know, defense. Like I said, certain there's a certain uh, quarterbacks and people who get more chances and benefit of the doubt than others. Others have to go out there and earn it and prove it, and you know, really compete and take lesser contracts. And some guys get traded two teams and like I said this is not a knock on Sam Darnold I'm not trying to say I'm anti-Sam Darnold but this is the fact Sam Darnold hasn't accomplished anything in the NFL and we can say that it's a part of the Jets but the numbers are the numbers and the facts are the facts and Jameis Winston his rookie year was better than Sam any year that Sam Darnold had and that's just the facts people but I'm just using that as an example to say how certain quarterbacks can get second chance and get Given the starting position, Sam Darnold really didn't have to compete for the starting job. He was given the starting job, while others would have to really compete for it. And then you have people questioning guys that had, you know, first round talent saying they should move to other positions. It's ridiculous. And then, you know, and not to go on a tangent, but I just saw like earlier this week that the Philadelphia Eagles traded for Gardner Minshew. When you have Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco, why are you trading for Gardner Mitchell about deficit position? I just don't think that the Eagles are really sold on Jalen Hurts. We'll see what happens with the Eagles, but I don't think they're really buying on Jalen Hurts. I don't That's mean to catch you off. Yeah, I don't mean to catch you off because 
I'm glad you brought up Jalen Hurts because I'll guarantee jump right into that. I saw the same news break this week, and you've heard, I'll say the last several months, not just this past week, that you've been hearing about rumors about the Eagles potentially trading for Deshaun Watson before all this stuff broke down. Even this past week, you had three teams, including the Eagles and the Panthers, so-called, were potentially trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. It's like they were trying to wait for the news to break. But, you know, with all that being said, why does it seem that the Eagles are not a fit for Jalen Hurts? You've been hearing all these rumors. Jalen Hurts, you know, besides, I think, what, four games last season that he actually played at QB, he looked pretty decent. But all you've been hearing throughout the preseason, um, throughout the postseason last year is that the Eagles still want to upgrade at the quarterback position. It's almost like they don't believe in Jalen Hurts. Why is that? Is it why? I mean, because I it's not that I don't think he didn't produce. I think he he's a great dual threat quarterback. And when he was behind center, he looked really, really good. But why does it seem not like a match made in heaven in Philadelphia for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles organization? What's going on? I don't know, man. Like, you know, Jalen Hurts was, you know, actually good enough to for the Eagles to move on from Carson Wentz. So you could say it was just the situation in Philadelphia. But, I mean, Jalen Hurts obviously played well enough to get thrown in there and keep getting the reps in the first team. I know the Eagles have a new coach, so maybe it's the coach, uh, Sirianni. Maybe he's not buying in because um, Jalen Hurts did get drafted by Doug Peterson before they cut ties with Doug Peterson. So um, I think maybe it's just uh, the new coach not really buying in on Jalen Hurts yet. Maybe Jalen Hurts has to, you know, earn it in the regular season for a full regular season for the uh, Sirianni buys in. But I don't know. I honestly don't know, but that Minshew trade was interesting, and that to me signals that you know Sirianni and this new regime for the Eagles it isn't really buying you know in on Jalen Hurts. So that's definitely you know another situation to monitor. But like I said, man, like certain quarterbacks just have more opportunity or given more of the benefit of the doubt than others, you know. So and you know it's obviously biased. It's biased with a lot of media, especially you know local media, especially out there in Boston. Like some, you know, the the rap music thing was one thing, but the way that some of these, you know, the beat writers and some of the people up there are caving for Mac Jones, and this is nothing against Mac Jones. You know, he's played well this preseason. He's pushing Cam Newton, and you know, competition is a good thing. But Cam Newton has played well enough to be named QB one, and I expect Cam Newton on September twelfth to be QB one for the New England Patriots. You so. heard it here first. You heard it here first, Terrence Hatchett. Week one, Cam Newton starting QB in New England. That should be a fact. That should be, you know, bread in a pudding. It is what it is. Whether you like his personality, whether you like his persona, whether you like his personality, the fact of the matter is he doesn't get in trouble with the law like these fake narratives that you guys try to, to bring up on Cam Newton. It just doesn't happen at all. He takes care of his business. He is who he is, and he's Cam Newton. Let's just, you know, jump right next to it, man. We saw a bunch of big-time headlines um, this weekend with um, Ravens losing their starting running back, J.K. Dobbins. He is officially out for the season, according to uh, NFL insider and beat writer Adam Schefter, who reported that he did tear his ACL. Um, we had Teddy Bridgewater, former Panther quarterback, named starter for the Broncos this week. Um, we had Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, um, you know, he's bounced around the league team to team. Uh, when he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, he's cold. He was named starter in Washington, who Terrence just alluded to a few moments ago in regards to Cam Newton being a possible fit uh, with former head coach Ron Rivera. Um, you know, we had some hot takes around the NFL this week, man. 
Um, give me some other hot takes in your opinion, T. What are you looking forward towards week one around the NFL? Um, well, I could use some hot takes just for the season one. I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to make it through the season because Urban Meyer, what's going on in Jacksonville is a shit show. You got players already fed up with Urban Meyer. He's running that team like a college program. Um, he hired a questionable strength and conditioning coach who had said racist things before. And you already have reports coming out of Jacksonville. A lot of players down there are already fed up with Urban Meyer. And at times this preseason with Jacksonville, Urban Meyer doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Um, and that offensive line, Jackson was atrocious. And if you can't scheme up some quick passes and some ways to get Trevor Lawrence, you know, comfortable, he's going to get hit and get hit and get hit even more. That uh, Monday night game versus the Saints uh, last week was hard to watch, bro. And Trevor is not – it could be a Joe Burrow situation last year with the Bengals. He's going to get absolutely beat up this year. Does the hiring of Urban Meyer remind you anything of former Oregon coach Chip Kelly when he came to the Eagles and tried to bring that college system and you had players not agreeing with it, think it was too fast-paced, too up-tempo, too much related and correlated to college football, not really having like a solidified NFL history. Does that hiring remind you anything of, I mean, it's, it's almost like deja vu where you heard players inside and outside of organization um, not really agreeing with the tactics and being unhappy. Does it remind you any thing of Chip Kelly where, you know, Chip Kelly's now at UCLA, but does, do you see any type of deja vu with Urban Meyer and Jacksonville towards Chip Kelly, who's now at UCLA? Um, I definitely see some similarities. Um, you know, because these NFL guys, they watch college football. Let's just be real, bro. When things got a little tough in Florida, Urban Meyer sat there and created health issues and pretty much quit on Florida, left, went to Ohio State, more of the same thing. Things got a little bit tough or whatever. He left Ohio State, gave up to Ryan Day. Ryan Day's done a great job at Ohio State. And you think that some of these NFL guys are going to respect you? <laughs> Like, and then you come in and you hire a coach who has said questionable things in the past and you give him a job and you think that grown men are going to respect you? No way. And then you, in the preseason, like, the Jaguars look absolutely horrible. Like, they don't know what the hell's going on. Aaron Mighty looks like he's lost on the sideline. Like, these are grown men. You can get away with certain stuff with college players because they're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, you know, whatever. These are grown men. These are men in their mid-20s, early 30s, and even some in their mid-30s to late 30s. Mm -hmm. You can't talk to grown men who are getting paid as professionals like you would a college kid. And this is why some college coaches have a harder time in the, in the pros, whether it's basketball or football, because college coaches, everything is about control and micromanaging where I think the pro game is more about managing personalities, but you're not in control of everything because literally the stars of you know college sports are the coaches. The stars of the pros are the players. And some coaches have a hard time with that concept. Nick Saban tried to coach in the NFL and it didn't go well. And he went right back to college and, you know, he's doing his thing down there in Alabama uh, we'll get you know get to college football in a second, but college coaches have a hard time adjusting to the pro game 
because it's grown men who are getting paid. And when you're dealing with people in a professional setting, whether it's, you know, a regular job or, you know, a pro sports team or whatever, you have to talk to people differently than you would kids. Um, some other things to look forward to, you know, one thing to watch, you know, Dak Prescott, his shoulder injury, you know, they, they've been easing him back in. They say he's fine, but some people have doubts. And, you know, the NFC East is not the strongest division in Dallas on paper should be the favorites to win that division. But if Dak has any type of lingering injury, it's going to derail their season. We've seen it happen last year and years past when Dak isn't healthy. Um, the Cowboys, you know, they can't sustain, you know, any type of consistency. And even when they have Dak, they're times where they're underachieved. So that's definitely a storyline. You know, Aaron Rodgers is in his last dance with the uh, Green Bay Packers. He's not coming back to Green Bay after this year. You know, Green Bay was a couple of players away from, you know, possibly going to the Super Bowl. Can they get over the hump this year? You know, that's a definitely a hot take to see. I think the um, I think the NFC West is the um, possibly the best division in football this year. I mean, Arizona's strong. The Rams are strong. They upgrade their quarterback position. We know Seattle is always going to be there at the end. And then um, – you know, the 49ers and, you know, team to always watch out for, you know, that could be a division where you have three playoff teams. Yeah. Maybe even yeah. four playoff teams. Like that's a strong division right there. Um, ASC, I think the Chargers are a team on pay. They have talent and they have a quarterback and then new coach. Cause one thing we see with the Chargers is that they usually either fold under pressure or they make small mistakes or they miss field goals or the coaching isn't organized and it's cost them in the past. You know, they get Duran James back. That's a team. I don't think they're going to win that division, but that's definitely a team that could possibly push, you know, the Kansas city chiefs. And um, I think the main storyline is can anybody in the AFC or the NFC derail what many people think is an inevitable rematch between Kansas city and Tampa Bay. Um, you know, if Kansas city trying to win if there was a drop off between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, Kansas City, you got Pat Mahomes, who's 38 and 8 as a starter, including 6 and 2 in the playoffs, threw for nearly 4,800 yards last season. But you saw without his two offensive tackles in the Super Bowl, it doesn't matter how many numbers you put up, you're not going to win. It all starts on the offensive line. You have Tom Brady and the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are returning 22 starters from that team, 22 starters on the offensive defensive end. You basically return every starter from each position on offense and defense. If there was a drop off between either team, who would it be in your opinion? I'll say Kansas City. Um, like you said, Tampa Bay has more continuity coming in. Kansas City's trying to revamp their offensive line. Um, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take for them to fully click with a new offensive line. You know, can they keep that line healthy? I think the only thing that can really stop Tampa Bay from at least getting to the NC Championship game is injuries. I think there are some teams that could possibly give them trouble. I think, you know, the Rams, Aaron Donald can give them trouble because, you know, we've seen in the past, if you can rush Tom Brady up the middle, you can give them problems. Um, I think Washington on defense the side of the ball can give Tampa Bay problems. They gave them problems last year, you know, with Chase Young and some of the other guys on that defense. But offensively, can they put up enough points to really hang with Tampa Bay? Uh, Green Bay, I mean, we saw Green Bay. They're really just a few plays away. From when that game, you know, Devontae Adams dropped a touchdown and they had to kick a field goal. You know, the the ridiculous blown coverage, you know, before halftime where they were playing zero coverage and they were playing 
outside technique, which is absurd. You let the receiver run inside and you tackle him and the clock runs out. You do not get up the sideline. You cannot let a receiver get by you and burn you down the sideline in that situation where Tampa Bay had no timeouts. Let him run across the middle of the field, tackle his ass, and you go into halftime. <laughs> like, come on now. Like, that was poor schematically and poor technique. It's poor technique. You cannot give up the sideline when a team has no timeouts and it's really a Hail Mary situation and you got toasted. Why are you, first of all, why was Kevin King on the line of scrimmage that close to him anyway? Then he actually got t- torched by Scotty Miller. Absolutely torched. And, get, and he let the receiver run down the sideline. Let force him to the middle of the field, tackle him, and you go into halftime. Then, it was obviously, you know, the questionable decision um, not to go for it on fourth down. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers could have ran for it on third down. Um, you know, there's just a couple of plays that were Green Bay really just couldn't get over the hump. You know, so that's a team, you know, look and see. But we'll see how Green Bay plays with all the distractions of Aaron Rodgers in that situation between him and the uh, organization. And, I mean, but, I mean – it's a lot of, you know, what ifs and teams that maybe, but it's not a lot of certainty with that. Like I said, I think Tampa Bay is a, a lot to at least get to the NC Championship game. You know, injuries are going to play a part in it, and we don't know what's going to happen as far as teams health-wise, COVID protocols, things like that. So Tampa should be in a better position than Kansas City. I think Kansas City – Got ex- not exposed, but teams took note of that Super Bowl, and they're gonna try to knock the hell out of Pat Mahomes. Um, we'll see if that new revamped offensive line can protect him better than what Kansas City was able to do in the Super Bowl. Um, so if I had to pick a team that's in a better position to get back to the Super Bowl, I would say Tampa Bay as of today. Okay, so Tampa, in your opinion, get back to the Super Bowl. Good opinion. Um, like I said, I mean, even the Panthers gave the Chiefs. Um, it was a blueprint last year where the Panthers should have beat the Chiefs in yeah, Arrowhead. For poor you clock were, management and a missed field goal. Yeah, the Panthers should have beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead last season. We saw the blueprint last season. You get pressure up front on Pat Mahomes, secondary on a deep end coverage. Um, you double Kelsey up the middle with a zone linebacker coverage. Um, big things can happen. Uh, we got college football which officially started this past weekend, man. College football, baby, is back in effect. This week, we got a bunch of big games. This past weekend, we saw North Carolina Central, who was heavily, heavily, and when I say heavily, the underdog is Alcorn State, ladies and gentlemen. They were big-time underdogs. Uh, But, you know, like Mike Tyson infamously said one time, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. That's what happened. You know, Alcorn State came out early, got an early touchdown, but the Central um, Eagles came back. They kept fighting. They kept forcing third down, um, you know, third down turnovers. Um, fourth down, I think Alcorn State went for it, I think, in the first quarter twice on fourth down, including on the fourth and 12, I believe. They ended up scoring a touchdown on a screen pass. Uh, but Central kept fighting. They stayed in the game. Central won the game, ladies and gentlemen, I think, what, 23 to 14? Yep. It, it really sent shockwaves around – um, HBCUs who were put on a national um, primetime television on ESPN, man. I mean, you actually saw these athletes 
put on. Um, it's kind of sad that I believe with only one HBCU player was drafted this past year, which is just mind-boggling in my opinion. But um, HBCUs do have talent. T, give me your thoughts on the Central shocking everybody, man. I mean, Alcorn State was like a 20-point favorite against Central. Um, give me your thoughts on the game, man. Quick quick thoughts. Uh, I mean, if you're Alcorn, I mean, they just can't get over the hump versus the MEAC in Atlanta. You know, A&T has been Alcorn in the Celebration Bowl several times. And, you know, Alcorn, like you said, was expected to come in. But like you said, you know, the first game of college football season is kind of unpredictable because there's no preseason games of college football. And there's not really like joint practices and things like that. So it's a lot more unpredictability with week one of college football. And Central was able to, you know, apply some pressure on Alcorn and, you know, hold the lead, um, which is good for the MIAC because the MIAC had a rough offseason. You know, obviously with ANC leaving the MIAC and, you know, the reason why ANC left the MIAC for the Big South, you know, FAMU left the MIAC as well. It was a rough year for the MIAC. So, you know, it's a big-time win for them. Um, I think that, you know, Alcorn, I think they're favored to win, you know, their division, the SWAC. But, you know, a loss like this, where you're favored by so much, it's always interesting to see how a team bounces back after a huge disappointing loss. When you're favored, like you said, by what, 20 points? Yeah, 20 <laughs> like, points. You know, that can do something to a team's psyche. But um, Coach McNair, who is Steve McNair's brother, I think he'll get those boys back on track. Um, Alcor hasn't played a game since 2019. Yeah, 600-something days for both programs, you know. You know, because, you know, the MEAC and the other, you know, historically black colleges, a lot of them, they decided not to play football last year, yeah. um, you know, because of COVID. So there's a lot of things that, you know, went to that game. Like you said, it could can be nerves. Like you said, they haven't played in almost two years. Um, yeah, 20-plus yeah, plus transfers at North Carolina Central um, due to COVID uh, protocol. Uh, you know, a lot of players transfer due to the, um, the new rule where a player can transfer – um, without being held back a year, uh, you know, I, I mean, for college football and college basketball, you have players all over the country entering their names into the transfer portals, um, being eligible immediately, um, now being able to get paid for your name, image, and likeness, the NIL. Um, you have players, um, you know, signing endorsement deals, able to put food on their tables for their families, for themselves, not just having to eat in the calf, being able to profit off of your name. Um, I think eventually – as you've seen a lot of these conferences forming alliances, I think we're on the outscope of seeing the end of the NCAA. Just my opinion. I really, I really think that the end of the NCAA is going to be coming up on the horizon. I think these conferences have finally figured out that these players ain't taking no shit no more, man. It's just we're it they're, is they're what it is, man. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. I mean, the the writing has been on the wall for far too long, and the players have finally have some balls to stand up and say, hey, like. They want to make money off their name. It is what it is, man. Like, it, it just – it's common sense. Dabo, who we spoke to at ACC Media Day, who tried to criticize one of the black media writers, um, basically all of a sudden that Dabo said weeks prior about him still not standing up for players being able to make profit off their names, who he tried to backtrack his comments 
doing the segment saying that that's not what he said, but on video, he clearly said it. And he said it again during the conference where he said that he doesn't believe that players should still be able to work and make money off their name. Like it's just, it's just mind boggling sometimes that you hear some of these comments from these millionaires and these type of coaches. Like, you know, it's almost like you recruit these same players to your organization, to your programs, but you don't want them to make money off their name and likeness. Like it doesn't make any type of sense at all, but that's a combo for a different day. I'm going to jump right into these college football games this weekend. we got some big time games this week. Starting Wednesday, September 1st, we got UAB at Jacksonville State. Another HBCU, um, you know, front and center game on ESPN at 7.30. Friday, all you Tar Hill fans, you guys are – what's the best way to put it? You guys come in with a lot, a lot of, you know, you better bring it, put up a shut up. I think the Tar Hill is going to make some noise this year. You got Sam Howell, Sam Howell back at QB. Um, you have him on some people's Heisman list. Um, you know, that's, that's no shock. He's, you know, he's put up the numbers. Yeah, he did lose 2,000-yard receivers, 2,000-yard uh, run, running backs this season, but they got a lot of returning talent. Um, they got a lot of big players who were signed with the program. Mac is bringing that recruiting back to UNC, including uh, Grimsley Worley, um, number two, I think, what, number two overall player in that class uh, for defensive tackles. Uh, yeah, Travis, Travis Shaw. Yeah, from Grimsley High School, who just signed um, with the Carolina Tar Heels. He's going to be coming there next season also. I mean, hold on. I think it might be two years, I believe. I think he's a junior this year, I believe, which is scary. So he'll be signing with – you know, he signed with Carolina. They got some recruits coming in. Carolina opens up at Virginia Tech. You know, Carolina, on the past seven games, away openers, they're 0-7. But I think that trend changes this week um, at Virginia Tech. Number 10, Tar Heels take on Virginia Tech. We have Duke at UNC Charlotte. Um, last year, Duke blew the doors off of them. Um, but this game is at Charlotte. It'd be interesting to see how does Duke, um, you know, bring things back into rotation with uh, Gunnar Holmgren behind him. Um, we have Mateo Durant, who is a um, – he he was on the watch list for one of the best running backs in college football this year. Um, yeah, he's only about 5'10", but the boy is a monster um, in the backfield. We got Oklahoma at Tulane on Saturday, Penn State at Wisconsin – we got some big games. We got Florida State, ladies and gentlemen. Florida State takes on Notre Dame. You know, Bobby Bowden, rest his soul, rest in peace, Bobby Bowden, who passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, that game's at Florida State. Notre Dame at Florida State on Sunday night at 7.30. We have Louisville at Ole Miss on Monday night, next Monday. T, the biggest game of them all, I think, in my opinion. Georgia, Clemson, Bank of America Stadium, 7.30 p.m., DJ Lule, who's going to be taking over behind Trevor Lawrence, um, behind all that spotlight, the Hobbs Trophy winner. Um, give me your thoughts. What's the biggest thing, your biggest take from this weekend coming up in college football? What's the game? What's a must-see game? What's your thoughts on college football this season, man? I think that, you know, Clemson, Georgia, in my opinion, Bank of America Stadium, I think Clemson, in my opinion, can afford to lose if they had to just because I think they still can – when the ACC, just because the ACC, besides outside of Clemson, UNC, and Miami, I think is almost like up for grabs, you no know, three teams. I think Georgia has to win this game, just dealing with the SEC, having to deal with Alabama, who I think is still going to have something to say about who comes out of that conference. Who, in your opinion, this week, what's the must-watch game? Must-watch game, and give your thoughts on college football this weekend coming up. Um, You know, obviously, Georgia-Clemson's a huge matchup, two top five teams. A lot of people, especially on game day, were picking Georgia not only win the SEC, 
but the national championship. But we've seen this story with Georgia before, where people are very high on Georgia. They pick them that the winning the national championship the SEC, and they let you down. Can it be different with this Georgia team? We'll find out week one, man. Um, you know, Clemson actually, you know, losing, losing Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. But, you know, DJ did play last year, and he played well. When he said Clemson still has weapons coming back as well. Um, I actually think that Clemson needs to win this game more than Georgia, and here's why. Because if you're Clemson and you lose this game, where's your signature win going to come from? Maybe maybe you won't see in the ACC championship game, but besides that, um, you know, you mentioned Florida State, Notre Dame. Florida State, you know, Coach Mike Norvell is in his second year. Um, really didn't really have an opportunity to have, you know, a, a fall, a summer camp last year. Um, is doing a great job recruiting. Uh, Florida State actually has the number one recruiting class in the ACC for next year um, as of today. But, you know, he's bringing in talent, but, you know, it takes time to rebuild, especially as bad, and, you know, as Florida State falling off, you know, from Jimbo Fisher and then Willie Taggart. I actually think Florida State is going to get Notre Dame a decent game because they actually played last year, and it was a one-position game late in the fourth quarter before the quarterback threw – you know, interception in the red zone and uh, Notre Dame was able to score and kind of pull away the game of Tallahassee. Um, I think they can push them because we know that Florida State, regardless of, you know, how good they are, they're always going to have athletes. And I think they can push Notre Dame. But I actually think the most interesting game is going to be Alabama versus Miami. You know, Derek King is the type of prototype quarterback that's given Nick Saban trouble in the past. Um, Miami is pretty solid defensively. And Alabama had lost a lot. You know, you lose a Mac Jones. You lose the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. You lose a Najee Harris. You lose um, – they had another first-round receiver. God, why am I blanking on his name? The one that was hurt. Oh, oh what's his name? I mean, I can't think – if you went to say that, I can't think of his name now. I know who you're talking about, though. But, yeah, he was another first-round pick at wide receiver, and they lost some guys on the defensive end, so – there was a lot of turnover, and then, you know, Bryce, um, the quarterback, Bryce, Bryce, Young. Bryce Young, you know, he got a million dollars in his NIL deal. How is he going to handle that? You know, this is the first year of NIL, so it's going to be really interesting to see how these quarterbacks and just players in general just handle these NIL deals, you know, in the locker room. You know, some guys getting paid more than others, so that's going to be interesting to see how that affects the locker room and things like that. But Bryce Young got a million-dollar NIL deal, and how is that going to, you know, affect him? And – you know, we know he's talented. He was the number one quarterback in his class. But, you know, now he has to open up against a team that Miami should be looking for his opportunity. Um, I think with Miami, Miami has to worry about Miami and not about Alabama. Miami needs to worry about Miami. Yep. I think Bama's going to win the game, but I think Miami can give them a, a good test. And if no. things go certain ways, I think Miami actually could really put a scare in Bama. Um, Miami comes in ranked 14th. Um, we know Miami has athletes, and, um, yeah, I think that's going to be an intriguing game. That's at 3.30 on Saturday. Um, How do you feel about Derek King coming off the ACL injury from last season? He told us during ACC media day that he's completely healthy, that he's not worried about anything at all, that he's been having reps in practice, that he's been pretty much composed and not worried about his knee. You know, a lot of times when you come off those type of injuries, the main thing you're concerned about is that knee giving out on you again. But he said he's healthy. Do you have any type of concern? I mean, it's almost like he tore it late last year and he's already ready week one. Is there any concern for you for Derrick King? 
Yeah, there's definitely some concern. You know, anytime a player gets injured later in the year, um, you know, trying to rush back and get ready week one. You know, we saw that with RG3, you know, with his injury. Um, we just don't know how guys are going to respond when they actually get back on the field, you know, that first time being back on the field. So I am concerned about him. But if he's, you know, truly 100%, we've seen in the past, you know, with the Deshaun Watsons and the Cam Newtons and quarterbacks like that have given Nick Saban trouble um, in the past. So he's definitely the, fits the mold of a quarterback that can give Alabama's defense trouble. It's going to be very interesting to see if Miami doesn't, like I said, they, Miami needs to worry about Miami. They don't need to be worried about Alabama what's on the other side. Miami has to focus on Miami and um, not overthink the opportunity or over or get too jacked up for this opportunity because um, it's a big game. You know, Miami's a team that can compete for the uh, Coastal Division along with UNC. I know UNC smacked them up in uh, South Florida last year, so Miami's going to be looking for revenge. So, you know, Miami's definitely a team that could be a team that could, you know, challenge Clemson in the uh, Atlanta Division because, I mean, the Atlanta Division, we know that Clemson's going to come out of that. Like I said, Florida State isn't ready. Um, NC State, I don't think they can compete. Louisville, you know, those teams, Boston College, they just – I also think you know, those teams can really compete with Clemson right now. So we know that Clemson is really going to come out of the Atlanta division. Um, it's really going to be on UNC or Miami to change the routine of the college playoff. Let's be real. The college playoff hasn't produced a lot of um, diversity when it comes to the teams. It's usually Alabama with the occasional LSU you know, team or Georgia Ohio State, because the Ohio State runs the Big Ten. Clemson runs the ACC. They're going for their seventh in a row. And then a mix of either Notre Dame, Oklahoma, or a Pac-12 team or a second SEC team. You know, that's usually how the college playoffs go on. It would be nice to see something different. Do I see it really being different this year? Not really. You know, people are saying Georgia can win the SEC, but until Georgia actually beats Alabama – I'm not taking Georgia or Alabama. Um, I'm going to pick Clemson to win the ACC for now, but I think UNC is definitely a team to watch. But until a team does it, you know, I'm going to pick Clemson. Ohio State, same deal. Until somebody actually knocks them off, I feel like Ohio State with C.J. Stroud, you're replacing Justin Fields. Um, I think Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten. I mean, Michigan and Harbaugh have had years to try to, you know, catch up and they can't get it done. How does um, Harbaugh – still have a coaching job at Michigan. Like, are Ooh. we really rewarding mediocrity? Hell, has Michigan even been mediocre? Like, what the hell is really going on in Michigan? It's almost like, does Harbaugh have some kind of knowledge on Michigan that nobody else knows about? If any other coach, especially black, had that type of record in college football, will they still have a coaching job, first of all? That's one. Secondly, I think Harbaugh has been on the high seat the last two or three years. We had Fonball, who was on ESPN recently. He said that he doesn't even understand how Harbaugh is still is coaching at Michigan. And like, 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 like I just stated myself, if it's almost like Harbaugh has some type of dirt on Michigan for him to still have a coaching job. I mean, just the fact of the matter is he's winless against Ohio State in his tenure at Ohio State. He's winless against them. We know in college football, that's like the biggest rivalry outside of Duke, UNC, of all, all sports, not just college sports, all sports. You're winless against Ohio State. You have no signature wins. 
you're losing the recruiting battle in your own state to Michigan State. Like, how do you still have a coaching job? Like, no signature wins. Remember when Jim Harbaugh was saying that, you know, Michigan was coming for the SEC, and yet he not only hasn't been able to beat Urban Meyer, hasn't been able to beat Ryan Day. So, I mean, no disrespect to Ryan Day. Ryan Day's a great coach. But, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, well, Urban Meyer has a hold on Harbaugh, and then Urban Meyer leaves, and it's more of the same. They cannot beat Ohio State. And, hell, they struggle with Michigan State, like you said. Um, I don't know how the hell Jim Harbaugh is still the coach of Michigan. Michigan deserves better. They should want better. Jim Harbaugh is just not getting it done. He's had opportunity after opportunity to mold a team, you know, in his vision. And every year that Michigan's been hyped up, they don't live up to the hype. They can't be Ohio State, whether it's in Ann Arbor or Columbus. They can't get it done. They struggle with Michigan State. They lost to other teams in the Big Ten that had no business losing to. When they've gone out of conference against SEC teams, they've gotten spanked. It's a business. They've gotten spanked. It's abysmal. It is. It's. It's. It's mind-boggling. I, I like. I really don't understand. I don't see why he still has a coaching job. But that's a comment for a different days. Just I want to bring that out there because it's just like, like I said, I feel like he has dirt on Michigan. There's something that's not being said. It's something behind the scenes is going on that he still is coaching. I mean, I know they went out of their way to bring him into Ann Arbor. Remember, they had the private jet. He got the khaki endorsement before he even. Put the headset on in Michigan, like you know, there's Tom Brady and Migos and then out there. Yeah, I mean, they went over and beyond to get the man into the program, and the man is staying on below. I think 600 is a winning record for Michigan. You're you're winless against Ohio State, which is the biggest game of the season. Like you said, you can't win in Ann Arbor or Columbus. I mean, hell, you can't even win. You can't even win in your own backyard. Like, let's be real. What the hell is going on? If Nick Saban was winless against Auburn, they would have fired Nick Saban. Point exactly. If Nick Saban at Alabama was winless versus Auburn, they would have fired him. If let's just I'm, a, I'm just throwing a hypothetical out there. Let's say you know in basketball, for example, let's say John Shire is winless versus UNC his first five or six years of coach. They're gonna get him out of there. <laughs> There's certain yeah. games that just matter more than others. You know what I mean? Like those rivalry games matter, especially in football when you only play once a year and it's bragging rights for 365 days until you meet again and a program as stories Michigan with all the resources that they have, you know, the big 10 has one, you know, the big 10 has the best TV contract out of all the conferences. A lot of these conferences are trying to model themselves after the, what the big 10 did as far as their TV deals and everything like that. So you have resources, you have money, you have the prestige, you know, you had clout coming from the NFL coming in and yet you're not getting it done. And Michigan just doesn't, hasn't pulled the trigger on getting rid of Jim Harbaugh. Um, you know, they have this thing that, you know, a Michigan man, but that, you know, the, this Michigan man, you know, Jim Harbaugh isn't working out for that program. So, you know, like I said, you know, if Nick Saban was winless versus Alabama, we've seen coaches get fired. You know, they've had decent records, but they don't win those rivalry games. They've been fired in the past. So it's not like it's not a precedent for that type of thing. It's happened before, and, it's and kind of the fact that he's been there 10 years and he's 0-10 versus Ohio State, and like you said, a lot of people thought that Urban Meyer just had a hold on him. Urban Meyer leaves, Ryan Day comes in, and it's more of the same. It's, it's more like, of the same. Like, I don't it's understand. It's like, like you said, not to cut you up, like you said, if that, you know, how we talked about earlier how certain quarterbacks – 
get the benefit of the doubt? Why is Jim Harbaugh getting the benefit of the doubt? Why? He hasn't done nothing at Michigan. I know people who are Michigan fans, and they're fed up with Jim Harbaugh. They're just it's absolutely like, fed up. You're rewarding mediocrity, and he hasn't even been mediocre, which is sad. Like it's, like I said, I don't understand it. Um, I think it's another case where we have a, in this case, an NFL coach trying to coach college football and it's not happening. I think that he's more of an NFL coach versus college. Um, we've seen time and time again. Um, I think Urban Meyer remains to be unseen, but, you know, reports are coming out early out of Jacksonville. I'm the same thing with Chip Kelly, who was at Oregon, who came to the Eagles, who players were complaining we mentioned earlier. Now he's at UCLA. UCLA has a big-time game this week coming up. Um, I think it's, again, I can't have to schedule it, but they got a big game coming up this week. But I think we've seen time and time again where – these coaches are failing to adapt to the new system where, whether it's college or NFL, these players are failing to adapt. T, I want to touch on it real briefly before we go, man. The NFL released its top 100 players this past week. We had at 10, Josh Allen for the Bills, TJ Watt, number nine, DeAndre Hawkins at eight, Tom Brady, the old man who just fresh off a Super Bowl at seven, Devontae Adams at six, Travis Kelsey at five, Derrick Henry at four, the bad man himself, Aaron Rodgers at three, Aaron Donald, probably arguably the best defensive player in football, reigning defensive player of the year, um, four times already. Aaron Donald at two, and the bad man himself, Patrick Mahomes, at number one. Do you have any problems with the top ten players in the NFL? Pat Mahomes, again, at number one. Josh Allen at ten, I think, is just the – he had a great year last year. I'm not taking away from it. It's, you know, it's on a year-by-year basis. But at number 10, I just want to see if he can do it consistently. I mean, Buffalo has all, you know, all the tools for him to be successful. But to put him at the top 10 after one, you know, the season, yeah. I mean, he had a great year last year. He got Buffalo to the AFC Championship game, and he was very good. But, you know, he struggled before. And like I said, maybe – I don't really have a gripe with the top 10. I just want to see if Josh Allen can do it consistently and if he can consistently be around that top 10 range. As far as the rest of the list, I have no gripes with the rest of the list. Um, I think Pat Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. I know Tom Brady beat him in the Super Bowl. It's a team game, and it wasn't really – you can't really put on Pat Mahomes because that offensive line was atrocious. Um, Aaron Donald at two, I had no gripes with that. Aaron Rodgers at three. You know, I have no grudge with that. So I really don't have a problem with the list. Like I said, I just want to see if Josh Allen can consistently stay on that top 10 level. Um, and as far as the rest of the list, I don't really have any you know complaints about it. I got a bonus segment before we go. I had to touch on this because my thing is always is I always will support anybody when they're putting in work on and off the field. Um, I'll never judge someone's mental mind state on certain issues. But my thing is this, um, I observe people very well on the internet, outside the internet, through the media. I always just observe people because people, a lot of times, they will tell you a lot about themselves before they even open their mouths. So, you know, the whole Shikari Richardson stuff broke um, over the Olympics. You know, she had the mental stuff going on, the weed, whatever the case may be. I really didn't care about the weed because it is what it is. Like, she smoked weed. Okay, get over it. It's legal in almost half the country. Like, get over it. Um, but she made some comments recently um, towards the Jamaicans and that's, I won't say necessarily towards the Jamaicans, but it was in my opinion, shade towards the Jamaicans. 
And, you know, she says she's going to do this, she's going to do that. And then she goes out and gets smoked by the Jamaicans. And, you know, it's almost like the media made it more about her versus the Jamaicans actually coming one, two, and three in the Olympics. And then just this past weekend, they ran one, two, and three again. Um, do you think this is more about her having a humbling experience against the Jamaicans? Or is it more just like, hey, like, you know, there's like, like she mentioned, she finished ninth. It's only up from here. Do you have any gripe with Shikari recently with her comments or the Jamaicans, her, you know, getting smoked and, you know, when they, when she finally went up against uh, Frazier and Hill, she got smoked. It, it just it is what it is. But my thing is, it's like, hey, when you put up all that talk on social media and you put these tweets up and you throw in shade towards these athletes and this, that, whatever. And like I said, I'm not judging her mental mind state. I will never judge a woman's mind state when it comes to certain issues with their, you know, just their mind and just everything going on outside of the world. And I know training, you put in so much hours and time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears towards a sport. You put a lot towards that sport. But my thing is this, when you're running your mouth on social media, when you're saying you're going to do this and do that, when you throw in shade towards these veterans, people that's been around the sport for years and years and years, they put the same type of energy, if not more, towards that sport. You better come out and produce. The fact of the matter is you got spanked in the mouth and you have people out here trying to justify her actions and her comments saying, you know, she's going through a lot. Hell, who isn't going through a lot? But my thing is this, like when you come out here and you, you run your mouth, you better come out here and produce. The fact of the matter is NBC and these other outlets made it solely about her, in my opinion. And she got smacked in the mouth. It is what it is. We know that, you know, especially the, the realm of social media and Twitter and Facebook, you're going to catch criticism, not just from, you know, your friends and family, you know, media, but these trolls are here, too. I mean, you give them ammunition to throw at you. And some of the ammunition, in my opinion, was rightfully so aimed at her. And it should have been aimed. We know, especially in black culture, when you come out here, run your mouth, you're going to catch this fade. I mean, it is it is what it is. That's just a slang way of saying it. Another way of saying it towards people that don't understand what we're saying is when you run your mouth, you're going to catch criticism from other people. It's just a nice way of putting it. T, what's your thoughts on the whole Shakari Richardson story saga? Was it rightfully so for her to face criticism after she got smoked going against the Jamaicans? Uh, I, you know, Shakari's 21 years old. You know, she had a deal for traumatic experience, um, you know, with her mother passing. And then obviously, you know, she got suspended for a week because she was coping. Marijuana helped her cope. I'm not going to sit here. And, you know, judge her for that because a lot of people have different ways of coping. Um, but my thing is people and what people got to realize is because a lot of people were trying to criticize people for slander her. But, you know, in sports on Twitter, it doesn't matter if you're LeBron James. You know, a lot of people thought that people were over the top. And quite honestly, we've seen guys get slandered way harder than what Shakari did, whether it's LeBron James or, hell, Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs and Super Bowls past year, uh, Paul George, um, you know, in the bubble last year. We've seen social media be very, very, very vile towards some people and harsh. You know, when you, when you fall, you're going to get criticized on social media, especially Twitter. It's the name of the game. And my thing is, is that nobody's safe. LeBron James, 
isn't safe. You know, when Kobe Bryant was alive and, you know, things didn't go well, he wasn't safe. So Tom Brady, it, it doesn't matter who you are. When you don't succeed, you're going to get slandered. That's just the name of the game. Now, did some of it probably go a little bit too far? Sure. You know, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, some people always take it way too far. But my thing is, Shikari is not helping her case. When you like a tweet saying that Shelly Ann looks like Little Wayne, and then you mention you like another tweet, you know, saying you know about Jamaicans and something about coconut huts or some something, something like that. Um, it's not helping your case, and it's just giving people more, even more ammunition to slander you. Then Allison Felix went on TV. And he offered to give Shakari some advice, and Shakari went on her Instagram story saying, "If you gotta go on TV, whatever, it's not real." And this is Allison Felix. Everybody loves Allison Felix. You know, maybe Shakari can take this experience, take the L that she took, because she is only twenty-one and she hasn't hit her prime yet. Just you know, stay off social media, go back to work. Work on your craft because, you know, soon we'll be getting ready for the 2024 Olympics and come back and have one of the great comeback stories of all time. You know, it's there. The comeback story is there for her. It's really just going to be, can she learn from this experience, take a step back, you know, get her mental right, be careful what she likes on social media because people can see that. And hopefully she has a team around her, you know, because she just popped up out of nowhere. So, you know, all the fame and that, you know, the attention that she was getting really happened just like that. And sometimes when people get that type of attention, just like that, they have a hard time handling. And then shortly after she got the attention, she got the criticism for the weed. And then, you know, she come out saying, Oh, they're going to see me, you know, mentioned the, you know, the, the Jamaicans that, you know, one, two, three in the gold, you know, she talked about they're going to have to see me and it was time to see you came in ninth, which was last. And people don't think that people are going to slander her. Like that's just kind of, you know, that's just kinda the way that it works. And it's not that some people were trying to, you know, look into it and take it to a place that, you know, trying to say that people were just hating on a black woman. And some people honestly probably are. I'm not going to sit there and deny it. But I think from what I saw, a lot of it was just on the fact that she lost and she came in last. And when you say that they're going to have to see me and you finish last, you're going to get slandered. You're definitely going to get slandered. She could have said nothing. And if she came in last, she's going to get slandered. You know, because... A lot of people want her to succeed, but when a lot of people want to see you succeed, a lot of people want you to see you fall. That's just the name of the game. But when you like a tweet saying that somebody looks like Lil Wayne and you mention something about Jamaican culture, now not only have you given ammunition to people here in the States, but you've given ammunition for people in the entire country to come Bang. at you. Bang. And I know some Jamaicans, and they had no remorse for her when she lost the other day. 
they reveled in it. And then the fact that you mentioned something about Shelly and uh, Frazier and just your makers in general. Yeah, they're going to come for you. And the only thing that Shakar Richard can do at this point, like I said, is take a step back, go back in the lab, get her mental right, get better. And she's going to have to see them in 2024. And we'll see what happens. But um, Elaine ran the second fastest 100 meters of all time. And that's just, and unfortunately, that wasn't the story. Because that should have been the story. She ran the second fastest 100 meters of all time. Only Flojo has ran a faster 100 meter dash on the women's 100 meters than Elaine. But the attention was on Shakari. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, her interview as well. Um, I hate that they interviewed her right after she lost. I wish they would. But we know how the media works. You know, the media likes to catch athletes fresh in the moment. And, you know, Shakari's young. And she really didn't have enough time to really gather her thoughts, in my opinion. And, you know, she said what she said. And I don't necessarily have an issue with what she said. But some people will take issue to it. Me, personally, I mean, she did run the sixth fastest 100 meter of all time. And they can't take that away from her. But it's not about that at that point. It's about what happened on that day. And on that day, she came in last. That's just the fact. And her actions afterwards are, have given people even more ammunition. People that were defending her are now saying they can't you know, defend what she's done lately. So, you know, like I said, this is a learning experience for her. She's only 21. So I'm not going to be too hard on her like some people might be. But at the end of the day, this is Twitter, and Twitter is a bunch of trolls, and it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't win, you're going to get trolled, and that's, you know, that's that. That's, you know, where I stand on that. Like I said, I hope she bounced back and has a great comeback story, and, you know, people are going to keep an eye on her. People are going to follow her, so hopefully, you know, 2024, she can go actually compete in the Olympics and, you know, see what she can do on the biggest stage in the world, so that's just uh, what I'm going to say about that. You heard it there, ladies and gentlemen. Terrence Hatchett giving his cold but true take on the whole Shakara Richardson saga. Um, I completely agree with what Terrence said. She's young, 21 years old. She has plenty of time to grow from this, learn from her mistakes. And like she said in her own tweets, it's only up from here. You know, you finish ninth, it's only up. You can only do better. So we fully support her. Um, we hope that she does the best um, to her abilities, but – I think mainly we hope for her mental health that, you know, she comes out on top. She defeats anything that she's dealing with, coping with the loss of her mother. We hope the best for her, and we hope to see her succeed. Uh, you know, we talked about college football this week. We got some big games coming up this upcoming weekend. We got the NFL in two weeks. Next weekend, we will be jumping right into it. We got the NFL, like we said, in two weeks, we'll be starting the Sam Darnold Regiment in Charlotte. Um, the Panthers take on the Jets week one, Bank of America Stadium. I believe 1 p.m. It's going to be electrifying. The Panthers, you'll see some big things from the Panthers this year. I really do truly believe that. I think if they get offensive line protection, the Panthers are going to make some noise. The defense, regardless of who they were playing against on Friday night, they look really, really good. They were fast to the ball. You had 11 hats to the ball at all times. You had defensive line getting pressure. The secondary, I think, is underestimated. My main concern is death at the DB position. Um, but if Sam Darnold can get protection, 
and have time downfield and a healthy CMC. That's my wild ball right there. A healthy CMC. The Panthers are going to surprise a lot of people. A lot of people. You heard it here first. I really got confidence in his team. I saw some things that I, I didn't think I would on Friday. Yeah, it was against second, third, and fourth strings. Who cares? It is what it is. At the end of the day, they put their draws on just like anybody else. They blood red just like anybody else. Yeah, the talent level may not be at the par as the first stringers, but I saw some things from the Panthers that I really like, and I think that they're going to make some big noise this year. Um, you heard it here first, man. I'm Roy Howell. It's Terrence Hatchett. Two Shades of Blue podcast. Carolina Blitz. That's Hurt. We'll see you next week. Sir, see y'all next week.